Today's scripture reading comes from James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade there and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of God. Hi, New Hope. Thanks, Don, for reading God's word to us. Can you, can you guys believe that uh, 2020 is already more than a month old? It seems like time is passing by so quickly. It seems like we're going to blink and open our eyes. It's going to be 2021. I got a question for you about the future, though. Where do you expect to be five years from now? What, what do you expect? Well, how about maybe 10 years from now? What do you expect to be doing 10 years from today? How about 20 years? Where do you see yourself in 20 years? Some of you, I'm willing to bet, have a, a pretty clear vision for your future. And some of you are like, I haven't really thought about that. I'm not even sure what I'm going to have for dinner today. We all approach, approach the future in, in different ways, don't we? Some of us, we like to map out in order to strategically work towards our very specific goals, long-term and short-term, whether those goals are related to family or career or retirement, or maybe it's that vacation you're planning. You plan it out and you map it out to the hour. But others of us, we, we're a bit more easygoing. In fact, maybe you find it hard to map out the future. You prefer to take life one day at a time. But whether, whether you're a planner or not, James has some valuable instruction for you here in verses 13 through 17 of James chapter 4. So I'm going to invite you to open up a Bible if you have one, either a physical Bible or a digital Bible. If you don't have either, there's a Bible right in front of you in that rack. There should be one there, and you can grab that and open to the letter of James, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 13 to 17 and study that. And, and what he does here, what James does, is he calls out people for thinking and talking about all the things they're going to do as if it's all in their control. You see in verse 13, he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and we'll trade and we'll make a profit. He, he happens to be talking about merchants here, right? Business people. And, and these business people have a plan. They've got a plan to hustle and make some money over the coming year. And now here's what we have to see, first of all, is that the problem here is not that they are planning. It's not that they've try to map out what they want to do. The problem is that they trust in their own ability to carry out those plans. They, they want to grow their business and they want to make a profit, and that's not inherently wrong. 
but they ignore God in the process. Here's what one scholar of James, Alan Mottier, he says, too often Christians leave God in the church or at home when they take the train to their offices. God stays back there while you go and do the real work and chase your goals. James says there's a, there's a subtle arrogance. There's a pride at work here. In fact, he says in verse 16, it's, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. He calls it evil. And by the way, the example here, it doesn't have to be merchants or business people chasing their business goals. James could have used another example. He could have said, come now, you who say, I'm going to finish my degree and then start a career in my preferred field. He could have said, come now, you who say, we're going to get married in a few months and then we're going to start a family by 2022. He said, look here, those of you who say, I'll retire in 10 years and, and move away someplace where the taxes are lower. Or you who say, my daughter will graduate in June, and then she'll head to university. You see, the problem emerges when we plan, and all those sound like wonderful plans, by the way, but the problem emerges when we plan it all as if we are in control, as if God has nothing to do with any of it. In fact, what happens is we forget God altogether. And, and it's easy to miss the fact that this is evil to begin with, it's easy to miss what's wrong with this because it's so normal. It's natural. In fact, you might say, how is this boasting? He says it's boasting and arrogance, really? Just to say, I'm going I'm to head out of the country, I'm going to go to this place and make some money, then I'm going to go there and spend the year there and, and trade and make a profit? How's that boasting? It's normal. Yeah, it is normal, but that doesn't make it right. In fact, at the end of chapter 1, you may remember this, James warns followers of Jesus to keep ourselves unpolluted by the world, unstained or unpolluted by the world. And in part, what he's talking about there is, he says, don't allow yourself to, to mindlessly adopt practices or, or perspectives that are godless, that, that forget about God. We so easily adopt that frame of mind. Every morning we can do this. We can each morning launch into our days setting and knocking down goals, right? Whether they're long-term goals that we're chipping at or maybe that's just our daily to-do list. We can just march through it. We can practically approach life as if God is not there or he is irrelevant to the decisions and the plans that we're making. It just doesn't matter. What God wants us to see, he wants us to see this for what it is. For one, he wants us to see that this is delusional thinking. You see, it's not just an affront to a sovereign God. It is that. But it's also naive. It's silly. It's crazy. You see, we're not in touch with reality when we think that we are self-sufficient or when we think that we're in control. In fact, we're putting ourselves in the place of God. You know, it's interesting. Throughout the Bible, God calls Christians to strive for godliness. He says, if you're a follower of Christ, 
Strive to be like your Father. He wants us to reflect the Father's character, to reflect his, his divine characteristics. So what does that mean? We mean it means we, we should be just and faithful because God is faithful. We should be trustworthy because he's trustworthy. We should be generous. We should be holy because he is those things. So often, we, we do want to be like God, but not necessarily in those ways. Sometimes we want the divine characteristics that we can't have. We want the divine attributes that are not available to us. We want to be omniscient. It means to know everything. Or we want to be omnipotent. To be all-powerful. In fact, we even might begin to act like we are those things. We can walk into our days saying, I know what I need to do today. I know what I need to know to get it done. And implicitly, what are we saying? I am sovereign. I will make it happen. We saw last week that, that when we criticize and we judge others, we are taking God's rightful place as judge. We're putting ourselves in, in his seat, in the judge's seat, when we criticize and slander and judge other people. That's what he says in James 4, verse 12. Well, well, when we think that we can plan our lives without regard for God, we're also taking his place. We're not taking his place as judge. We're trying to take his place as king. We're not trying to sit in that judge's seat. We're trying to sit in the throne. And it's delusional. It's arrogant. As James said back in, in chapter 3, verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. That's the kind of wisdom we're living out of when we try to plan our lives, even plan our week, without regard for God. So James is here to correct our perspective. Instead of, instead of leaving us to, to boast in our arrogance, he wants to help us, as he says in verse 7, he wants to help us submit ourselves, therefore, to God. He wants to help us humble ourselves before the Lord, as he says in verse 10. And he can, he can help us out, James can, by God's grace, can help us out of that prideful delusion. <laughs> and so to do that, he tells us a couple of things, a couple of humbling things. And here's the first thing he tells us. We don't know much. We don't know much. Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You see, these folks have decided, we know where we're going, we know how long we're going to stay there, and we know what we're going to do when we get there. We've got it figured out. Our destination, the duration, our occupation while we're there, it's all figured out. They have it mapped and figured out, but there's an irony that James wants us to see here. He says, listen, you've, you've planned with such certainty for the whole year. That's great. But you don't even know what tomorrow will look like, let alone the other 364 days. He's telling all of us, you, you simply have no idea if your plans will pan out or... <laughs> They're just going to be completely derailed. 
you simply have no idea. And that doesn't mean you don't plan, because the Bible commends planning. We just read in our, in our call to worship today from the book of Proverbs, there's something virtuous and good and godly about planning and then trusting God to establish our plan and to guide our steps. The Proverbs commend the person who wisely plans and prepares for the future, but, but what James here is advising us is to be realistic when we plan. Be realistic. At least admit this. The future is uncertain. I've quoted the, the great heavyweight boxer and great American philosopher Mike Tyson before, who famously said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You see, you don't know if tomorrow will bring a left hook or a combination of blows to your midsection. You have no idea. So at the very least, we should be honest about this. We don't even know what the rest of today will look like. I said before, some of us don't even know what we're going to have for dinner. Frankly, none of us knows for sure what we're going to have for dinner. None of us knows if we even will have dinner. None of us knows if we will have another dinner. The future is uncertain. So keep that in mind, James says, as you talk about your future. <laughs> keep it in mind as you plan. Keep it in mind as you lay out your five-year scheme for success. It's uncertain, to us at least. It's not uncertain to God, is it? He knows. Imagine you're driving down the Bronx River Parkway, and it's just free going. There's no traffic at all, but you can see on the other side, heading in the other direction, there, there's a car stalled in the center lane. And, and uh, you're starting to see that traffic is starting to back up. You know those lanes on the cross, I mean on the Bronx River, they're so narrow, right? One car breaks down, forget it, it's going to back up. You start to see it back up right before you as you drive past, and you say, oh man, traffic's going to get bad soon. I'm glad I'm heading in this direction. And, and as you go down, you can see cars, they're speeding towards that stalled view. They don't know about the stalled view. They're speeding. They have no idea what's ahead. Maybe they're headed to work right now with plans about what they're going to do when they get there. They've got meetings on their agenda. Maybe they're hoping to catch a, a quick coffee on the way into the office, but little do they know. In fact, maybe you feel like warning them, hey, listen, don't, don't be too happy. There's a, don't plan too far ahead. There's, there's a, a backup less than a mile down the road. You feel like warning them. Of course, you can't. Well, I guess you can with, with uh, ways you can warn, right? You can let people know. That's a new development. But you see, God is saying, you don't see what I see. So just own up to your ignorance. As you plan for the future, humbly acknowledge that you don't know what you don't know. It's such a basic truth, isn't it? A simple truth. And, and really what God is doing here is he's taking us back to elementary school. He, he's trying to teach us something that's so basic because he knows that we overlook basic facts. Like our own ignorance. We don't know much. Listen, things may very well not go as you imagine. In fact, they could go as you imagine. They might go even better than you imagine. Or they might not. 
Who knows? The merchants here in James 4, they presume to be in control of their destination. And don't we make that same mistake? We presume to be in control of our own destiny. And maybe you might say, no, I know that my destiny, the big picture, that's not in my hands. That's in God's. Maybe not. Maybe you don't presume to know your destiny, but you do presume to be in control of your day, at least. You think, well, I, I know what I'm doing here. I know what I can do and how I'll do it. James says, no, you don't know much. And then secondly, he says, we don't live long. We don't know much and we don't live long. This, I don't mean to sound morbid when I say this, but it's right here in the scriptures. Look at what James 4 verse 14 says. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You, you act like you know what tomorrow will bring, but you don't even understand the brevity of your, of your life. You don't understand the frailty of your life. You're a mist. That, that word, it could be translated a, a vapor or, or a smoke. And don't think, don't think of like a, a fog that settles over a lake and, and it hovers there all morning for hours. Don't think about that. Or don't think about smog that sits over a busy city on those summer days, and just kind of hangs there. The smog seems to be forever present. That's not what James is talking about. But you know what this word means? Think, think instead of your breath on a 30-degree on a day. You breathe as you walk out the door, and you can see it, and then you can't. And you don't know where it went. It just disappeared. It quickly dissipates, and it's gone, and it's forgotten, and you don't even think about it again. You can't protect it. You can't store it. You can't extend it. It's short and it's fragile. A puff of smoke from a, a cigarette or a puff of, of a vapor from an e-cigarette. It, it just, it's there and it's gone. You know, this imagery that, that James is using, this is Old Testament imagery. This is old imagery. He didn't make this up. Psalm 144 verse 4 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And in Psalm 39, verse 5 says, Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. All those days of your life that you're standing, that you're able to stand and able to function because God's given you life, all those days, it's really just a breath, a vapor, a mist. One commentator says, we, we take the reins of life into our own hands and we forget our ignorance and we forget our frailty and our dependence and we plan our day, our week, our next year as if we were lords of earth and time and there was no God in heaven. James wants to wake us up out of that. He says, you don't, you don't live long. None of us does. Job 9, verse 25, says, My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. You see, that's, that's Job, who lived to be an old man. He had a big family. He lived long enough to build an, a, a, a huge empire of wealth, lose it, and then build it up again. He lived a long life. 
But he's got an accurate perspective here when he says, yeah, it may look like it's a long time. That's really not. He says, my days are swifter than Usain Bolt. They just flee. We're all like this. Even those of us who, who, by God's grace, may live long, long into old age. Gray hair, no hair, grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids. Job says, keep the right perspective. Your days, they go by quick. They're swifter than Tyreek Hill. They flee away. Psalm 103, verse 15, 16. Listen to what the psalmist says there. He says, as for man, his days are like grass. See, the image is different here, right? It's not a vapor and it's not a person running. It's, it's like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. It looks beautiful. But the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. Not only is it gone, it's forgotten. Every trace is gone. You know, Job realized that the length of his short, fragile life was not determined by him, but by God. We're going to look at a passage here from Job where he tells us, it's not, it's not just that life is short, it's that I have no control over how long it is. In fact, God has determined the length of my short, fragile life. Listen to what Job says in chapter 14, verse 4. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you, O oh God, have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Who of you can add a, a day to your life, Christ says. Your days are determined. It's so interesting the way Job puts it. I don't know why this, this is so fascinating, but he says it's not even the number of days, the number of years. He says the number of his months, the number of your months. God said it. It's determined. You will not pass beyond what he has determined. The Lord has set the number of your months, and, and, and he has not told us the number. Some of us wish he would tell us the number. I don't even want to know the number. Maybe you would want to know. But it's so easy to walk through our days as if they're guaranteed, isn't it? How many of us assume, assume that there will be many days just like this one? Gavin Ortland, he says, we treat our days as a given when really they're a gift. We treat them as a given. They're, they take them for granted when really they're a precious gift from our God. So when I hear of someone's death, personally, especially if it's a young person, young famous person who dies or a young person I'll catch on the news passed away, I, I often find myself wondering, what was that person excited about accomplishing? I don't know why this comes to mind, but it often does. What were those people planning? Kobe Bryant died two weeks ago today. And no doubt he looked forward to seeing his children grow. I've always, I've always found this interesting about him. Many professional athletes, they, after retirement, they find themselves aimless. They're lost. They don't know what to do with their lives. But not Kobe. Kobe had plans. 
a film production company. He published children's books. He was mentoring other athletes, including his own children. This is a man with so many plans and good plans. I read so many comments saying essentially this, he was only just getting started. And it's true. Young man, only just getting started, and yet he had no idea that the end was so close. He had no idea that the story of his life was coming to a close. I don't think James is just trying to bum us out, but he wants us to see as his brothers and sisters, that life is short and it's fragile and that leaves us in no position to boast in our arrogance. Remember, that's the point. That we would not boast in our arrogance because one, we don't know much and two, we won't live long. And those facts, they, they can, they can kind of take the, the wind out of our sails. But again, God's not trying to discourage us here. In Psalm 90, verse 2, the psalmist says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days and to see them as precious and limited, because that's how I'm going to get wiser. You see, the more in touch we are with the brevity and the frailty of our life, the more in touch we are with the fact that he determines the number of our days, the wiser we will be. And when, and, and when that proud sense of, of certainty and self-sufficiency, that's when it's, it's stripped away. You see what makes, what takes the place of that self-sufficiency and that pride when we come to terms with the brevity and frailty of our lives, what replaces it is a humble sense of dependence, a, a, a yielding to the will of God. When, when, and when we stop saying, I will, I will, and we begin saying, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. That, that's what James tells us. He says, here's how we should respond. If you've come to realize that you don't know much and, and, and you're not going to live that long, here's how you respond. You stop saying, I will, I will, I will, and you start saying, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. And that's the third point here of this message, if the Lord wills. Look at verse 15. Instead, he says, you keep saying, I will do this, I will do that. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. You see what he says? It's not just, if the Lord wills, we will do those things. It's first, if the Lord wills, we'll even live. And if the Lord wills, we'll then do those things. James is not telling us to just constantly repeat this, right? He's not saying just, this doesn't need to be your mantra. Hey, you know, whatever it is, any plan, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be in uh, early tomorrow. You're telling, you know, your coworker, hey, I'm going to be back. I'll be in early tomorrow, if the Lord wills. Or, you know, hey, I got I to gotta head out. I'll be right back, if the Lord wills. Be back in a second. The Lord wills. It's not, it's not the kind of just mantra, but, but what he's calling us to is a frame of mind. It's a mind state, a state of awareness that God is sovereign and I'm not. He's the Lord, not me. I'm dependent on him, and my plans will only play out if he allows it, if he ordains it to happen. That's what God willing means. That's what if the Lord wills means. 
And by the way, saying it may actually help us cultivate that frame of mind. I don't think James is telling us to just go around saying if the Lord wills, and if we don't say if the Lord wills, then we've sinned somehow. He's not saying that. But I do think, I have found in my own experience, that it checks my pride. It checks my presumption when I, when I, when I, when I just put those words at the end of a, a text. Sometimes it hits me, like, I will be there. I'm about to hit send. I'm like, do I really know that? God willing. I just sent a message like that to, to, to my brother, to Jay over there. And I think when he said, I said, I'll meet you at 5, God willing, he read that. He thought, oh, Rob's noncommittal. I think Rob's kind of like, he's going to flake on me. He's like, yeah, maybe I'll be there. We'll see. I, wasn't, I'm, I was committed, brother. I was committed. But I'm saying my commitment does not guarantee that my plans will come to bear. My commitment means nothing if the God of the universe says, no, you will not meet him. Wise planning always involves submitting to God. It means that, yes, we prepare and we purpose to accomplish what we think is good, but but we do so with thoughtful, reflective prayer. And, And we give all those plans to God And we ask God, what what do you say about this? I'm I'm holding these plans with an open hand. And you can do do with them what you want, Lord. You can take them, you can shatter them, replace them with your own plans. That's up to you. If you have other purposes in mind, I will gladly follow. Because my future belongs to you. My life belongs to you. So yes, I plan and I purpose, but I submit them to you. And I say, Lord, really what I want, I want your will to be done. And if this, what I have planned aligns, and praise be to you. That's what it means to say with your heart, not just with your mouth, with your heart, if the Lord wills. And when we do this, you know what happens? We, we begin to live with a deeper awareness of our God. We, we start walking with him more intentionally and Christ is no longer just an add-on to our lives, right? He's not just uh, uh, something that's compartmentalized to, to Sunday afternoons. The, the Lord will not allow himself to be compartmentalized and relegated to Sunday afternoons. He won't have that. He is the Lord. And so he says, live in my presence. Submit your will to mine. Don't map out your day, much less your life, without regard to me. We can't relegate him and say, well, well I'm, he's there. He's ruling when I'm praising. He's ruling when I'm with the body, with the church, and we're praising or we're praying. Or we're... But the rest of the week, I, I got this. I heard, I heard a pastor say, we can't say to God, I'll, I'll give you Sundays. And that's it. He said, he said, that's like saying to your spouse, it's not date night. Leave me alone. I talk to you on date nights. When we see the Lord, when we start to say with our hearts, internally, when we have the frame of mind that's saying, if the Lord wills, we are acknowledging his presence and we're acknowledging his rule over 
all of our steps. You know what else the Lord wills means? What it means, what else it means to say if the Lord wills? It means that if what I'm considering doing contradicts God's revealed will in his word, I will abandon it. If it becomes clear to me that what I want to do is contrary to what God demands of me, I will not do it because I don't want to go where your words tell me not to go, Lord. Because my years are numbered, my time is short, and I will not use the days that you have given me to go after what you have told me to leave alone. The things that you have told me to flee from. You see, an awareness and a frame of mind that James is talking about here, it'll protect us from wandering or, or running hard after sin. Because we can't live with the frame of mind that says, if the Lord wills, and then continue to sin. It doesn't work. Because we can't think, if the Lord wills, I'm going to hook up tonight. If the Lord wills, I'll look at porn when I get home. If the Lord wills, no one will catch me in my lies. If the Lord wills, no one will find out about my fraud. It doesn't make sense, right? We can't commit those things to the will of God because they're so obviously contrary to his will. You see what James is urging us toward here? He's calling us to live our whole life in the presence of God with an awareness not only of his sovereignty, his control, but with an awareness of his authority, his lordship. This is a call to to yield to his loving, all-powerful rule. And when we do that, when we start taking baby steps towards that, it'll keep us from living like autonomous little gods who call the shots and and carve out our own destiny, self-made men and women without any need for him. You know what else happens, too, if we start making, taking baby steps towards, towards living with this frame of mind, this yielding to God and submitting to his will? It, it also helps us to shape our priorities, won't it? It'll help us to evaluate our ambitions and say, is it, am I really chasing after the right things? Am I really giving my time and my energy to the right things? Go, go back to what he says here in, in, in uh, verse 13 when he's talking about those merchants Right? They're, they're on a mission to build their business and, and to make some money. Now, now think, if they come to the realization that life is short and it's fleeting and tomorrow is not guaranteed, for one, they probably won't speak with such certainty about their plans, that's for sure. But beyond that, they might have to rethink their plans to begin with. They might have to reevaluate those plans altogether. I mean, if life really is short and my life belongs to God and not me, if it's a gift from him, then, then I need to ask the question, how should I be using it? And my plans for tomorrow and the year, are, are they really aligning? Do they really make sense if life is short and my life belongs to God? It, it, it helps us to start thinking, am I spending my life doing the right things? <laughs> am I spending my days doing the right things? Am, am I accomplishing and accumulating things that matter? 
Because the fact is that they, these merchants, they might spend that year and make that money and everything works out according to plan only to find out that it was all pointless and unfulfilling and it was a waste. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12. He says, it says there, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I've got nowhere to put all this money, all to put all this jewelry, all to put all these possessions. Verse 18, and he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who's it going to? You see, he's saying to, my, he's saying to his own soul, your plans are working out beautifully. God comes and says something different. God comes and says, what kind of plans are these, man? Don't you realize that today is the end for you? And all that you've spent your life accumulating is worthless now? At least to you it is. Look, your dreams may come true. I hope they do. But it's very, very sad. If you, if you work hard enough and, and the chips all fall in your favor and the future you always envisioned becomes a reality, but then you realize that everything you planned and worked for was pointless and it was empty, it was unsatisfying. You might accomplish everything you hope for and it may not be worth much. And so God is calling us here to evaluate. Evaluate. It was Francis Chan who said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. You hear that? You fear failure? I fear failure. No, our greatest fear shouldn't be failure. It should be succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. See, the problem isn't just that our plans may fail. It's that our plans may succeed and have no eternal value. Yes. When God confronts us with the, with the brevity of life, we, we begin to see that our, our plans are not guaranteed. But more than that, it helps us evaluate whether our plans are wise. It leads us to ask, are, are my ambitions misguided? Are my dreams misplaced? Am I strategizing and working for the right things or the wrong things? Am I strategizing and working for things that all are about me, that center on me, or things that only matter now and will be worth nothing when my life is required of me? A man named Matt McCullough wrote a book a couple of years ago called Remembering Death. It sounds like a, a, a very... Um, somber book. Um, it's actually a helpful book. He talks about the benefit of doing what James says here, coming to terms with the brevity of life. And here's what he says. He says, we must give up on any work we might do to establish names for ourselves. 
that, that work, he says, that work has nothing to do with Jesus. It, it aims at an identity that's separate from him. And all such work dies with us. James ends this section by saying in verse 17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You see, failure to submit our plans to God, it's not just foolish, it is, but it's also sin. Because, because it's living as if God is irrelevant. It's, it's, and, and that clearly is evil. And God won't have it. We weren't made to live that way, were we? And so in love, God is calling us away from that. He's calling us to something better, so much better. He's calling us to live the way we were made to live, the way we were redeemed to live as we yield our plans. We yield our lives to him. We become more aware of his presence. We, we begin to experience more of his love when we do that. He doesn't seem so distant. We, we, we experience more of his care. We start taking less for granted. We, we, we experience deeper intimacy with him as we yield our days to him. We stop seeing our days as a given, and we start seeing them as a gift. Of course, we have to ask questions. How do we move towards that? And that's a question for you. It's a question for us as a church, for us to talk about with each other in our care groups, discipleship groups, wherever, in your families. How do we move towards that kind of awareness? Because it doesn't come naturally. What do we do? We've been talking in our discipleship groups over the last season about building healthy rhythms into our life, these habits that help to shape the way we view ourselves and view the world and view God, these habits of word, God's word, prayer, Sabbath, rest. All these things are given to us by God to actually reorient us so that this frame of mind that James is calling us to becomes a reality for us. Every time we come to God's word, every time we, we regularly just keep coming to him in prayer, every day we just keep coming back again. And then we work, we work hard, and then we rest. And every time we rest, we're saying, Lord, I'm trusting this to you. All the work I did this week, I'm trusting it to you. If, if the Lord wills, something good will come out of it. Maybe God has reoriented us today. And the question is, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to respond to it? He, he is not just in control of our days here and now, is he? This Lord, he, his rule, it extends into eternity. He has set a limited number of days for us here, but he has given us infinity, limitless eternity with him. So yielding our lives and our plans to him day by day, you know where it begins? It begins by simply yielding to him as Lord for the first time. You've never done that. It means realizing if for the first time I was made to live for you, Lord, and, and with you, but I've lived my whole life with disregard for you. And now you're telling me that all such boasting and arrogance is evil. You're calling it sin. What do I do Listen, there is forgiveness for every one of us. There is, you can be forgiven. The grace of God is for you. Because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ always submitted to the will of the Father. At every single step and turn of his life, he acknowledged the Father. He, he always aligned with the Father's will. 
even to the point of death for us. His death paid for our presumption. His, his death paid for our proud delusions of control and grandeur, our delusions of autonomy. He took all that. He paid for it. He, his blood satisfied the penalty for all of our self-focused living. And now he calls us to yield to him as Savior, as Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, we are prone to wander from reality and into mad delusion. Rescue us, Lord. Bring us back. Remind us of what's true and good and righteous. Remind us, Lord, that we don't know much, but you know all. And we don't live long here on this earth, but you are eternal, and we have eternal life with you if we trust in your Son. Lord, if you will it, if it be your will, don't let any of us walk out of here thinking that we can control a thing. We yield to you. In Christ's name, amen.